If you're a subscriber of my email newsletter, you would have seen a note from me mentioning that, yes, I will prep your product for free. And I've gotten a bunch of questions about that. And they're like, wait, wait, what do you mean you'll prep it for free? So here's the deal. You know, Andy Slammons and Amazing Freedom, they're a sponsor of my show. And their course is launching, and it's only open for a week or two, just about that. And Andy pays me. I mean, that's quite frankly, if you sign up for his course, he pays me. We all know that. I've been very clear about that. Um, and to entice you to come through me, which doesn't cost anything additional, um, we have offered, uh, my wife, my son, and I will prep your first private label product that you uh, developed through his course. Now, his course, um, it's phenomenal. I'm in there, so you'll get to see me. You'll get to consult with me, and we can talk about you know what the prep is going to require. You'll send it to our warehouse at our location. We do have a loading dock, so that's going to save you some fees. Uh, you don't have to get a lift gate or any of those things. Your first order, up to 1,000 units, I am going to qualify and say you got to do it within six months because I want you to take action. But here's the deal. Um, no fees, uh, whatever, you know, labels, bags, whatever, that's your responsibility. But outside of that, we'll actually do the work for you. We'll do a cursory inspection for you, and we will absolutely ensure that um, your product gets there the best way it can. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about that because I want you to focus on developing a product and then launching it. That's where the hard work is. And that's where Leron's going to help you the most is launching a product. Don't worry about packing it up and getting it in there. We can help you with that. And again, I'm going to do the first thing for free. Uh, how do I make money at it? Well, Andy pays me. So I just want to be clear about that and offer that to you. The only way you're going to get that, we are not a prep center. The only way you're going to get that is if you join through my link and it's on this episode. It'll be on the next couple episodes, but it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum. Um, then it's a hyphen and the word join. I'll have the link there, but it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum with a hyphen join. And if you put that in there, you click on that link, um, all behind the scenes, the wizardry, um, we'll get notified. And then just send me a note saying, hey, I signed up through your link and I want to work with you and your family, Steve, for the most success. Everybody knows that Andy and I have a warehouse, um, 12,000 square foot warehouse. So it's kind of a connected deal anyway, but I'm going to do the work myself or my wife and my son. We're going to do the work for you to get you started off to a phenomenal 2018. It's only going to last for, you know, this this opening. I'm not going to continue it. Um, and if you have questions, send me a note. Um, you got to do it, though. you got to take action. And this is a chance, 2018, to take the money that you made from Q4 and develop a real business, a real brand. We've all seen those businesses getting sold. Go out and check some of the sites that are selling businesses. They're multiples because they've created brands. They're selling them at multiples. Uh, pretty phenomenal. And so, again, the only way you're going to get that is if you come through my link. There's no extra charge. I'm the only one offering it. It's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen join. I want to take a chance and thank my other sponsors today too, Seller Labs with Scope. Scope is a phenomenal product. Man, we just got done talking about launching a private label product. Well, here's the deal. In order to launch it, you need to know the keywords that will work. Um, Scope has a phenomenal tool where you can find the number one, number two um, competitors of the products that you're launching and find what their keywords are. That's the beauty of it. Then you use those. There's no sense in reinventing the wheel. You use them because they're already proven. That's the proof of concept you're looking for. So it's a phenomenal tool. So you go to sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code MOMENTUM 
momentum and you're gonna save 50 bucks and you're gonna get some free keywords okay so that's what you want to do so take that take that course from Andy and now all of a sudden use scope right use that those keywords to help launch that product because that's where the hard work is and then again we'll prep it for you and I also don't want to miss you know Karen from solutions for e-commerce um, phenomenal I just saw somebody else posting um, it was John Lawson or somebody else posting um, a recommendation for her because it's a phenomenal service we've used it we've used it for now a couple of years and again we pay the same price she does pay me again we all know that she's a sponsor of the show but I wouldn't be recommending her if I didn't use the services and it's been a phenomenal service so if you go to solutions for e-com the number four e-commerce dot com forward slash momentum you're going to save fifty dollars a month yep fifty dollars per month no extra cost and she's going to do that inventory health report for you we use her for phenomenal so back to this private label you're going to launch a new product well you need to get your listings created well that's what karen specializes in so she'll help you get those listing created you got variations even better and what's very cool is she's now into shopify she can help you with e um, ebay you know launching it out on ebay i mean it's just really been a phenomenal service for us so again you go to solutions for ecommerce.com forward slash momentum save the fifty dollars get that inventory health report start out 2018 with all three sponsors you know andy slamman's course um, get in there and get started with the private label product use uh, seller labs to help you launch that product right with those keywords using scope and then have karen manage your account um, it's a phenomenal set of tools you're going to see me in all those groups because we use all those services let's get into the podcast Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 267, Barry Mark or Barry Treebeard, as we all know him. Um, this is really kind of different for me. This is, I broke this up into two episodes and that was kind of planned. We originally talked about going three and it does go a little long, especially the second episode. But I think it's a perfect, perfect episode series for the beginning of a new year. It's a new year. It's a new slate, right? Your taxes will get filed unless you extend them like I did and file them way at the end. But you'll get there. There. It's a new year to kind of start over again. Your accounts start over. The Amazon clock starts over. The eBay clock starts over. New tax year, as I said. So this is a chance to redo, rethink, and reorganize. And I think Barry's a great example of what the potential is. And Barry's not done reinventing himself, and you'll hear that in our talk. Uh, talks, plural. Um, but it's not... Uh, all rainbows and unicorns, and Barry's here to tell you that. But, you know, he created an incredible business before it wasn't. And I think it's really important to understand that, and I think it's a great time of year to do that. So let's get into the podcast. All right, welcome back to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. Very excited about today's guest because we're going to do it a little different than what we normally do. And what I've asked this person to come on is to help inspire, to help to help you realize that things don't always work out, things uh, get complicated, life happens, uh, things outside of your control, things are going to change. Uh, like right now, Amazon's evolving faster than ever. And yet, 
if you persevere, you can get through it and come out on the other end, probably stronger. I, I'm going to ask that. That's probably going to be my first question. Barry Mark, or as we all know him, Barry Treebeard. Welcome, Barry. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Is it true that no matter what happens, I don't know if I get maybe that's too general, but you do come out stronger? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. You think so? I mean, I, I you know, maybe there's some, some circumstances where it doesn't happen, but it, at least, if nothing else, you're smarter, right? You, you've seen it, and so you could, re, you could, you know, see it again and start to recognize it. Well, you'll, uh, maybe I'll just, as you'll see with me, I'm like the proverbial economist. On the one hand and on the other hand. So on the one hand, you learn a lot. You learn a lot of mistakes not to make the second time or third time around. On the other hand... You might be gun shy and risks that maybe in the past you would have taken, you don't take. And it's hard to tell in hindsight, but maybe you would have struck gold by taking those risks. And which are you? Oh, that's me now. I'm, uh, I, I see both sides of everything. And so, um, oh, yes, I see what you're saying. I'm more, uh, I'm more gun shy than I was when I okay. was you know, okay. 25. Okay. I get it. And well, that, that also comes with wisdom too. Um, back then risk, risk was relative, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, I might break something, but geez, it'll heal. Now you break something. It's like, okay, I'm gonna have to have a replacement. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, uh, I'll use some of your terms. You're an old dude. You're so old. Yeah. You're so old. Let's do this. This could be like a stand up routine because this is funny, but it's true. And I think it gives some perspective. So let's start out. I'm so old that I'm so old that uh, I use the internet. What's called the DARPA net? Is that really the DARPA net? So this is uh, the way I understood it. The internet, internet, internet was started by colleges, right? It was a way for them to communicate. Is that correct? Uh, sort of. That was the second phase. The first phase was in the '60s. Um, the government, which can't do anything right. Uh, I was trying to devise a way uh, with uh, think tanks and an agency called uh, uh, the uh, Defense, I can't remember what it's called, but anyway, they wanted a way to maintain communications in the event of a, a nuclear war, because uh, the way everything was set up with AT&T in the, in the olden days, it was all almost like point to point. You had a trunk line from New York to California to Chicago, and the internet was an amazing thing that the people came up with was that you could cut off it's like a giant circle you could cut off many parts of it and it would just self uh, heal and reroute itself hmm. so initially it was done for that way and then they used it uh, for research like like you said uh, select colleges because uh, many uh, companies couldn't afford the huge expense uh, of, of setting up a giant uh, you know slow speed party line almost and so certain select research universities uh, set, uh, became members to share uh, data. Hmm. And and because I remember, I actually do remember some of that, that the heavy, you know, if you wanted really good internet usage, you had to go to a university to use it. I mean, that was in my lifetime too. I remember that. And, and remember when you couldn't do a commercial uh, usage on the internet. Because of the nonprofit status of the universities? I don't know. It was like a, a social thing. The it was the, the users of the internet frowned on it, and it was a I think an Arizona immigration attorney that advertised or or, or promoted themselves on the internet, and it was like uh, they were shamed for a little while. And after 
a short period of time said, oh, who cares? The Internet's great for, for commerce. Could you imagine those people now looking where we are with the, you know, just, just your cell phone, how much technology is in that cell phone, right? And, you know, um, and just thinking, you know, because we're all supposed to have flying cars, but so much of what they thought really has come true. Oh, it, it, it's amazing. And it just, you just remind me of how, how jury-rigged the internet was uh, when it became commercial. There was, a, you know, there are 12 or so nodes where everything is switched uh, all the traffic is switched. You know, there's one in Miami, New York. There was an important, I think it was either a node or the DNS, which is the master address book, um, it was switched. It was one node that one of the pioneers ran and was kept in his apartment, the computer. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and then, and no, one day he had emergency surgery. And uh, then after that, they, they figured that we better make this into a real robust you know, system. Yeah, this is probably not a good place to keep in this dude's uh, kitchen or what have you. Um, you're so old that you remember computer okay. class in seventh grade. Yes, it was a required. Uh, it was a requirement. Six months of basic programming, and it was literally basic programming. Uh, and we pr- uh, programmed by writing our programs on paper tape through through teletype uh, machines. I don't think most people would understand what a teletype machine is. Hey, do your best to explain it, because I, I remember them. We had them. It's hard to explain. It's just basically, it's like, almost like a, a, a computer, computerized typeset, uh, sorry, typewriter that uh, was connected to a communication line to, in this case, uh, digital, what they call the PDP-10, I think. And it would put yeah. holes in paper, correct, in certain yeah. places, and that meant something. Yeah, basically, yeah, we had paper tape, and then the next year, which was an elective, we ran on punch cards. But the, the, the basic theory was computer time was so expensive, and uh, the computer could could uh, work so much faster than a human could. So if you sat there typing in one letter at a time, it would be a complete waste of time. And also, you couldn't have a class of 25 people uh, working. So uh, you basically did all your work, and then you just you know shoved it up to the computer and said, here it is, you know, do my program. You know, again, you think about those people who were doing that and to think of what what today we have that we take for granted on your calculator. I mean, just hitting certain functions on your calculator have more uh, capacity than these machines did because that teletype machine, you had to create a, especially if you did the long paper type, uh, the reels, and then you fed that into another machine. You took that off, wound it, then you fed it into another machine and that, that had instructions or whatever it was going to do, right? Oh, yeah. That was amazing. And to, to uh, go on to what you just said, um, when I rem- I'm so old, I remember watching Neil Armstrong land of the moon and the computers they used. Or did he? Huh? Or did he? <laughs> Some say he never yeah, well, did. I don't know. It was a good, it was a good, it was like Wag the uh, Tail, the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty good um, uh, shot. Well, as they say, not to veer off too much, with all conspiracies, I mean, actually, it's funny because my father was, was uh, peripherally in, in, involved in that. There's too many people to. Uh, to keep a conspiracy like that secret. I mean, you're talking uh, really hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and, and and what's the angle? I mean, you know, they could they could pop up there today, but there's no value in it. So what, what's the big deal, right? I agree with you. So uh, so you watched that as a kid, 
And you remember, did that do anything for you inspirationally? I mean, were you like, I've got to be an astronaut now? Am I going to be this? Um, well, to me, that was kind of the, it was anticlimactic. When I was very young, not, not many years earlier, I was like the, the space kid. Uh, the teachers called on me because I, you know, Gemini and Mercury. I, yeah. I, I, I sucked up all the information about that and I just regurgitated. I was the, the king in school of, of space. But when you land, if they landed on the moon, it was, you know, okay, next. Well, you, but I mean, it, this is all kind of culminating, leading you towards something, right? You were fascinated by all this computer technology, all the, all the, I mean, all the, and it sounds like your dad was involved. I mean, did he help push you that way or is it just because you saw it and it just blew your mind and that was something that was interesting? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, my father was an engineer. Okay. Uh, in the, in the defense business, and maybe I inherited a little bit of his engineering um, traits, like efficiency. I certainly did not inherit his neatness. I'm the sloppiest, uh, most uh, <laughs> unor- disorganized person around. But uh, I really liked efficiency, and computers showed me how how uh, efficient you could take processes and make them so much more efficient than you know, doing it by hand. So that's what really got me. I was fascinated. I was programming, well, I programmed for maybe uh, uh, 30, 35 years, and then I, I guess I got too old and I stopped. And you were programming in some funky old languages, which probably are still in use in government, correct? Uh, yeah, I did COBOL. Uh, that okay, was, yeah, COBOL's around, yeah. I think the IRS still, I read just last week, that they reprogram everything for the new tax law in COBOL, and it's uh, ancient. They are probably the last uh, kind of, you know, organization to still use that kind of stuff. But, you know, for them to replace it would be an enormous, enormous amount of work. It's the, the enormity of work, more importantly, all the bugs have been fixed. And then you have to, you know, go back and fix all the bugs. But at one point, you have to, you know, compare the IRS and COBOL to Amazon, say, uh, who has who's probably one of the biggest... Uh, systems that is constantly evolving, and we all suffer through bugs. But yeah, you know, they they do work through. And and you can't really afford in tax to have a lot of bugs at this point. I mean, they need the money, and they need the money fast. They can't afford to shut down and say, "Well, Barry, you can pay us next week. We can, we could wait a week. No chance." <laughs> but ultimately, you have to uh, bite the bullet, and we're going to have to skip skip generations and just get it more efficient. Yeah, there's no doubt it's coming. Um, and and I, I assume, you know, this is kind of a relative assumption, but I had some friends pretty hype in the military. They've, they've been evolving systems for years, right? So they would, they would use it, use it, use it, use it, and they've slowly been taking certain things out. And so I think they're getting closer. So, okay. So yeah. well, you well, were speaking of the military. You reminded me, the, the ICBMs we've read recently are all um, maintained uh, by floppy disk-based yeah, systems. Yeah, by disks, so they can't be corrupted. And the parts are not available, uh, and these are like, I think, 10 to 11-inch floppies, even before the floppies that we all know. That's funny. Anyway. You know, you, you wonder then, you know, when you come across these things as sellers, right, and if, they, if you still buy, you know, stuff for eBay or whatever, it's fascinating what you find in people's houses, right? I mean, it's still, whatever you want to buy, it's still out there. There are people's houses that still have this junk in it. You wonder sometimes who buys some of that stuff when you sell it, if it does end up in, in as a replacement, you know, um, to one of these kind of organizations. 
Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, there, there was a, um, uh, one of the other, one of the, the other podcasts I listened to uh, a couple of years ago that had a big theme, uh, dead tech. It was amazing that anything, it said buy anything that, that works or even doesn't work that you can get cheap because if somebody wants to buy the part uh, for something. Someday. Yeah, I knew a guy whose father, his job was to buy printers and uh, copiers, and all he would do is take them apart and mark the parts on what they were and put them up on a shelf. And then his full-time job was reselling those parts. That was his model, you know, just dismantling them, putting, you know, because you got them for nothing, taking them apart, whatever the common pieces are, and he would know that, putting them up on a shelf. And then when you wanted to buy it, you had no choice but to buy it from him. Oh, of course, because the value add is his time and knowledge uh, and, and play, his time, knowledge, and place, because he had them sitting in his warehouse uh, for when you happen to need it. So that's what you had to pay for. Yeah, that doesn't work in the quick flip Amazon model. Um, that <laughs> model does not work. Okay, so let's keep going. So uh, as we're moving through, you know, we're all seeing that Barry's got a skill set, I guess, a direction that he's going in towards computers, seems to be attracted to him, enjoys it for 35 plus years. Um, how did you start with the side hustle? I mean, did you retire and start with the side hustle or did did you just start a side hustle to start selling crap? Oh, I started selling crap when I was uh, 13. So I never, okay. really, never really worked for anybody in my life. So even as a programmer, so you were just doing it as a contractor? No, I only program for myself. So when you say you program for 35 years, that's programming for you? Yeah, well, j- jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, in the 80s, um, I had uh, you know, my first good business. I did all the program for myself. Perhaps it might have been smarter uh, to do, well, I guess they didn't have a thing called a four-hour workweek book in those days, <laughs> and, and outsourcing too. But it may, perhaps it might have been, on the, on the one hand, it would have been smarter just to delegate and, and work on my business rather than in my business. Uh, on the other hand, because I was, I was the programmer, um, everything was custom-made and, and relatively efficient and very, very low cost. So maybe I could have hired someone and gone out of business by spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on programmers because it was very little off-the-shelf you know, programs in those days. And so, especially the communication would be an enormous amount, right? Just saying, here's what I want it to do when you kind of don't really know, right, as you're saying, because they don't have experience with it. Um, that, w- that would have eaten it up, eaten up the time and money. I mean, you would have gotten nowhere. Exactly. So I, I was <clears throat> selling things you know, from 13 onwards, as, and um, um, the interesting things was I, I, I didn't even think of calling it uh, retail arbitrage until last week when I was you know, making a few notes for this. Um, you know, I, I actually went to Europe and England to uh, buy up you know, cultural items and import them back in this country and sell them, uh, mail order basically. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. What's a cultural item? You got to explain that because that sounds uh, it sounds almost illegal. Oh no, no cultural. I, I call it uh, consumer culture. Uh, you know, like uh, almost we'll say almost like uh, well, well, my mistake. Pop culture would be the right word for it. Okay, so it would have been music related or uh, clothing related or what? All the above, yeah. Okay, okay. So so there's definitely something I'm missing then because 
when you went to school, but what were you going to be? So you were selling on the side. Your dad's an engineer, so you're clearly adapted to computers. You're messing with them, uh, doing your own thing, selling things. I gather over over this DARPA net. Uh, on no, no. I, actually, that's a funny, funny, quick story. But I'll give a quick, quick little. Because uh, there's little something bit. missing there. I'm missing, so it's me. Oh, no, it's not you. It's me. I haven't spoke. So <clears throat> basically, my father, the engineer. Uh, was uh, he worked for a defense contractor, and in the uh, uh, mid seventies, uh, they had an air force contract, and he he uh, worked on developing the predecessor to G- GPS. Um, oh wow! Satellites they used uh, antennas, and they used three antennas uh, broadcasting a signal um, to uh, jet fighters, and they could pinpoint their exact location by the time it took to. Uh, receive that signal. And so they sent him to Germany to uh, supervise the installation uh, of the uh, antenna systems over there. And so he was there for a year or six months. And so as a special um, <clears throat> uh, summer treat, my, my uh, parents, my mother and I, and my brother uh, flew over uh, you know, to visit. Um, and then we traveled a little bit throughout Europe. And uh, I started buying things in stores and and bringing them back and, and I brought them back and I sold them. Uh, it was like flea markets. And, okay, I was gonna say, where did you sell them? So you sold them locally in your neighborhood, but stuff that they just couldn't get, right? Uh, because wasn't the music like the there was a different type of music in Europe at that time? Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, you had, yeah. Everything, everything was different. Uh, music, uh, uh, books, all that sort of thing. They were different, you know, because it was. It was yeah, the, the world was not, uh, it was connected, but not like it is now. Right. It, but they were more leaders over there, right? I mean, a lot of the music came from Europe. And so to bring that over here, you had access to things. Give us an example of something you would have bought that you couldn't get in the U.S. common. Um, well, oh. virtually virtually anything and everything. Well, also, some of the, some of the European markets were um, much smaller. And yet, as before... The, what they called uh, the common market in those days before it became the EU. Uh, so each country was a, little, was a country, and, and it was small but yet highly rich and sophisticated and developed. So each country had <clears throat> different variations. You might, uh, you know, there might be a rare record or a rare book or something that was only published in, uh, in Germany or Holland, and so people, collectors, wanted it. Hmm. All right, so if you were a... Uh... Beatles collector, for example, you wanted it in the German version and you wanted it in the Japanese version and all the different ones and you bring it back. Oh, that's cool. So that was interesting. Um, what, how did you know that it would sell just because, because you know, people were the collector? I mean, did you develop that trade or did you take risks or, you know, how did you figure that out? Uh, well, trial and error. But yeah, I guess when you're, when you're like 14 and 15 before the internet, all you had was time, basically, school and time. And you learned things, you read, you... Uh... Yeah, where, where did you research, though? I mean, it's not like you could sit there and Google or look up on YouTube. I mean, where would your books, uh, back to the old collector's books or antique books? I don't think they had them in those days. No, I guess it was just, I guess it was word of mouth. I just met, met people, knew people, I called people. And, and it was right about this time I actually started a, a mail order business. Oh, the old old-fashioned way. Uh, printed a catalog and mailed it out. I think we advertised like uh, 
in Rolling Stone or something like that. In the back of it, right? Yeah, you always had, to, had those little ads in the back of it. But, but all right, wait. So what stuff were you selling then? I mean, was it particular genre of music or uh, T-shirts or stuff? Well, what was it? It was, it was, it was general. It was, wasn't so much the, you know, the, the, the type of, uh, of product. It was just, um, well, pop culture, whatever, whatever, you know, it was, it was a happening place over there in Europe. And, uh, I actually was making enough money that uh, I saved money two years later that, um, you know, I, I financed a trip. I, I had my mother take me, uh, to London. <laughs> Mom. I need some inventory. <laughs> can, can you hold my hand to get me through and get me to customs and get me all that way? I mean, that's that's crazy to think. You know, in today's day and age, it'd be no big deal, right? I mean, still, you'd, you'd have to have a parent code, but it's no big deal. That was a big deal, traveling to Europe. I mean, that's like a big deal. There weren't the jets that are available today, you know, doing, you know, 500 flights, 50 different, you know, airlines. I mean, there were very few. I mean, that's a big bucks. Yeah, it was it was it was funny because uh, you heard me say before the word we sent a catalog out because uh, I know you're like this that my father uh, took an interest in it and he helped me. He, he, he you know did what needs to be done and not to jump ahead a little bit, but when I went uh, to college, he actually ran the business uh, for me. But that's cool. I mean, now that's complete reverse engineering. Usually, you know, you grow up and you go work in your parents' business or your grandparents' business. In this case, your dad grew up uh, from that corporate job and went to work in your business. Well, funny, literally he did when he retired. But this is before, this is when he was, you know, uh, um, he just did it on the you know on the side, when, you know, nights and weekends when he was at school. Uh, so anyway, the the other interesting story uh, I, I always like because you'll show you'll see it's a theme. Uh, I being the, the engineering gene that makes keeps me coming back, keeps coming back. It wants me to understand how things are set up, the system, the rules, and then I look at them and figure interesting ways through them or around them. Uh, though I must must emphasize on Amazon, there's no path around any rules. Remember that. Yeah, it, it's a very short. Uh, it's a short run. No matter, even if you can do it, it's going to be a short run. Yeah, it's one. It's the one organization and system where you can't the penalties are, are too great there you can't mm. you can't go around the rules you just have to follow the rules um though there are little nuances uh, uh like i gave a very quick example not to jump ahead but um in, in the uh 2006 and 7s uh i might come back a few times when sco you know s-c-o-e which was right. a, a seller's conference at amazon and amazon participated in those days and you weren't allowed to sell uh, like you're still not not allowed to sell bundles or, or multi-packs of books any media items and um, so I asked the executive they had real executives you know VPs and the top decision makers in those days and I figured out and they said it was okay uh, I, by that time I, I was dealing direct with the major publishers and they said the publisher uh, issues an ISBN, then you can sell uh, the set on Amazon, and that's what I did for you know for a little while. I actually had publishers sell me uh, 10, 20 copy, 10, 20 um, books in a series, and issue me uh, an ISBN, and that went to Amazon. <laughs> and then we were, you know, I was able to sell uh, a bundle before you were allowed to do bundles, and you actually still can. 
But anyway, we'll jump, we'll jump back to uh, the 70s. But that's a clue for the next episode because uh, that those are the kind of things, you know, when you think about resilience and perseverance, Barry, these are the kind of things that you really do have to think. You might be you might be right. You're skirting the edge, um, but you're just rethinking their rules, right? You're just saying, hey, these are your rules. As long as I follow your rules, then I'm okay. Now, once they figure out what you're doing, it sounds like they could change it. But it, but logically, you're taking the right approach. You're questioning, and that does seem like that does seem to be your your modus operandi pretty much your whole life. Yeah, well, they they never changed that rule. I found that many Amazon rules that were developed in, in 2002 and three still never have changed. They may have embellished them. But anyway, back to the 70s. Uh, I uh, this was just purely accidental. I bought one share of stock in, in a, uh, an entertainment company in those days, and through the stockholder relations department, I was able to get to when I was in England to go to their warehouse and pick out what I wanted to and bought it from them direct. Because you were an owner of the company. Yeah, one, one share of stock. They didn't, ask, they didn't know. I just was a shareholder. I'm a shareholder. <laughs> and how old were you? I was 16, and, here, and here's actually one of the coolest parts of it, the whole thing. Uh, th- through the contacts there, I got a, a tour of Abbey Road. Oh, my God. How do you think about that? Oh. When you think about these things, I know bringing these notes back and, and going back through your mind, I mean, does it take you right back there? Yeah, it does. It's, a, uh, it's amazing. I was also thinking that, um, you know, reality, life is always there. It's not It's not. All fantasy. Uh, when I was in London uh, a few times, I missed by maybe an hour uh, IRA bombs in the underground. Oh. Okay, so that brings it home. You know, but isn't that a lesson going forward that really you should take some time and breathe in this business and cherish those moments because um, there are some cool things happening today, right? I know there's challenges and everything else, but there are still some cool things happening if your life, if you slow down enough to, to enjoy it. And, uh, I mean, looking back, would you, would you say that you enjoyed it? Yeah. I mean, you, you have to remember, uh, as opposed to now when everyone's connected and everyone has an uh, entertainment center in their pocket and every instant access to everything, Everything was like a, moved at a snail's pace hmm. back then. So everything anything like this was so exciting, super exciting. You know, no one else was you know, really doing anything like that. Uh, nothing interesting was happening. You know, now, for instance, if you want to, if you need a packaging, a box, or, or some or some machine to, to uh, uh, you know make boxes for you or anything, you just go on the internet or YouTube. You see videos, you get it. If I wanted a piece of plastic in 1975, you might have to spend a week researching and calling and finding it. And you would have had to call. I mean, there was no other way or find a catalog. But you literally, I mean, you had to do the research. Yeah, one, one, one project. Well, one thing I used to do when, when I uh, well, actually I discovered you could call the phone company. And in those days, there were, you know, each region had a phone company and you could request uh, yellow pages of every city in their territory, and and they sent it for free, and I needed that to to find uh, uh, suppliers and ultimately uh, accounts to sell to. 
and everybody would have been in the Yellow Pages then because there really was no way to get your business out there other than there were industry directories, um, you know, manufacturing directories and things like that. But man, back then, that was it. I remember going to the library and going through some of the manufacturer directories looking for a particular thing because that was the only place you could find it. But this was before the Internet, too. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so so we're 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 selling locally, buying internationally, um, traveling to buy things. How what at that point did you have anybody working for you? Was it just you, and and your dad sometimes? But I mean, was it was it just you guys? Yeah, that was it. Never was never was uh, big. It's just amazing, you know, when you're small and starting. It's like you know, yeah, I, I used to uh, do like a year end statement for taxes, and it was like. Uh, you know, we sold you know five thousand dollars this year, which was a you know a great, fantastic sum of money to, to a young kid. But you think about it now, you can do it, and you know an RA person on Amazon can do that in the first day. Yeah, well, but remember, a car was three grand, you know. So to put it in perspective, a car was literally three thousand, brand new, three thousand yeah. dollars. So you know there is a little bit of, and a house would have been you know under twenty thousand generally, yeah. uh, under twenty thousand dollars. So it is a five thousand is a pretty significant amount of money, and for you to spend, you know, I know that wasn't your profit, but for you to spend five grand would be tough. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend back then. Oh, yeah. yeah it was, it was you could buy I, a lot of inventory. Yeah, I would spend, yeah, it was all in my parents' house. I would spend, uh, you yeah, know, $100. I, I'd be looked at like I was crazy for spending so much money. That's uh, funny. Yeah, in those days. So then um, another interesting thing was I opened my first wholesale account with a, with a, uh, a multinational company. Uh, I think somewhere between 16 and 17, uh, and then I was kind of surprised. I'm not sure if I had a phone call or, or the the local sales rep knocked on my parents' front door one day. And said, oh, is this XYZ company? <laughs> yeah, they gave, me, they gave me an account. I forgot how I even, I guess I must have prepaid or something because I had no, no uh, credit. Now, here's an interesting uh, uh, thought I've always had for many years. Uh, I had to have boxes to ship um, my my mail orders, right? So uh, a local uh, packaging supply company uh, treated me very nicely, like a king, and I would spend, you know, I'd buy 100 boxes every six months in the beginning. And they, they took the time, and they were nice, and they, and they treated me well. And then you fast forward 10 years later, they were supplying all my packaging needs, you know, you know five ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month maybe. So always- There's a lesson there. Always treat people nice, and uh, you never can tell uh, you know when they'll be back to be a great customer. You know the when you mentioned about them coming to your house, that carryover when you deal with uh, certain sales reps when you go to a trade show. I do a lot of trade shows. When you go and you get one of the elderly gentlemen, usually gentlemen, salesperson. Once in a while, you can see it come out of them. You know they want to. You know they want the location. They want to take pictures of the property. Still, I mean, there's some of those companies where that's a carryover. Um, I think it's almost gone, but it is still of that, you know, um, out there. Um, it's just funny to think that in today's day and age when everything is, you know, they're still brick and mortar, but they're even digital. I mean, everything's digital, um, that that's a carryover. So, oh, yeah. okay. Definitely yeah, the, the old-time salespeople. Yeah. Um, so you're carrying forward, and at this point, business is good. Um are your parents saying that this isn't a future? You still have to go to college? Oh, exactly. They say you must go to college. Period. Uh, yeah. Oh, not, not a question. It was, it was no. If you if you breathe, you go to college. It was uh, 
Well, your dad, an engineer at that age, was pretty rare. I mean, that you know, that's a pretty big deal that he was uh, he was one of the elite. I mean, you know, to be fair. Well, I would. I, I don't. Uh, I mean, he was elite to me, but I don't think he was really. He would call yeah, be, to be educated at that age. I mean, you know, uh, that would have been that's that was significant. Well, let's put it this way. Um, when I was a little bit older, and his company, uh, they, they would occasionally they'd have sales to um, get rid of surplus furniture, which I needed for my, my business. Uh, they, you, you couldn't go in normally because you needed a security clearance. Uh, they were, at its height, I think 10,000 employees in one location. Wow. And they, they, you know, they had like uh, messengers that went on bicycles with baskets throughout the, throughout the place. That's how big it was. So. You say elite, I guess he's elite, but he, he was just, you know, th- these people, these are the people, you know, like I said, hundreds of thousands of people use like slide rules to get people on the moon. Hmm. So I guess you're, you're right, their accomplishments were elite, but I guess they they were ordinary, everyday people. <laughs> it reminds me of another little funny story that every once in a while the FBI would have to come around and ask the neighbors, uh, what about this guy? Is he, uh, you know, is he okay? Anything we should know about him? They still do that, actually, and uh, because uh, well, yeah, because we uh, I live in an area. There's a uh, uh, there's a presence, and uh, so once in a while you hear from somebody for a reference. They'll be like, "Hey, Steve, I put you down as a reference, or what have you." I'm like, "Really? Okay, you know." And then you get some questions. So, it still happens at certain levels of security clearance. Okay. All right, so moving on, we're going forward. Life is good. You're gonna have to go to school. Were you going to be an engineer or a computer engineer at this? I did. They even have. I guess they they would have had computer engineers for sure. Well, yeah, they did. So what happened was, uh, I never really liked school per se. I, I, you know, I did reasonably well. You know, say, for instance, not as good as my brother. Uh, he was like, you know, the valedictorian, uh, stuff like that. Um, but you know, I, I I held my own. And so since I had to go, I like computers. I like business. So there was only one school, you know, undergraduate in those days. That was even, you know, they were not an option, but it was it was the the uh, golden ticket, so to speak, that, you know, the best that could be, and that was uh, Wharton at Penn. Ooh, so. that's 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 just not an ordinary school. Um, U of P is a big deal, but Wharton portion of it a big big deal. So uh, going back to my usual theme. Um, <laughs> I, I researched, and of course, when I, I went with my parents. We, uh, you know, I did the old. We interviewed uh, like Northeastern um, and Drexel because they had work study programs. Because I, I wanted, you know, I had to get into business. I had to be, um, you know, the kid out there, you know, with my own company. I, you know, I just had to. So it was a compromise to go to school. Uh, so I, I, I figured out that, uh, as everyone sort of knows, uh, certain. Schools are looking for certain uh, categories of people, and you know if you, if you play tuba, for instance, you know certain schools want you, or you know uh, well, things like that. And so yeah, I, there are slots to fill, and they if you can meet those, boom, you can be fit that slot. So I figured out that uh, athletes uh, are highly desirable, and there's a special uh, application track for that. And so since I was on the high school baseball team. Uh, I did fairly well, uh, so I applied that way, and stranger things have happened. I got accepted. When you, 
if you would have just applied, just, I mean, again, this is going to be one of these life lessons. If you would have just applied, do you think you would have gotten in without all this other stuff? Well, without, without going on the special athlete track, maybe. Yes, without preparing is what I meant. Oh, no way. No, no, no way. So no. you would have just been another one. Eh, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. But because you figured it out, I mean, this is this is a pretty smart, you know, move when you think about today's world with the tactical arbitrages of the world or the price checker twos or any of the other scraping softwares and all the rest of that stuff. The Using the tools and the tools at your time were, you know, figuring out that track and then not, not exploiting them, just doing it, doing the work gave you a leg up, an advantage. Yes, that was exactly, that was, you'll see in a minute, more of my theme. So, um, I got in there, and again, I was—I guess I had, I had a lot of concentration skills in those days, and I, and I, I did okay. I did, I did fairly well, and, but I needed to get out. I called it my sentence, my my, my four-year <laughs> sentence. I needed to get out. So I discovered again that um, I could I could go to my local community college in the summer and transfer the credits over. As absurd as that sounds, uh, I could. You know, they were electives. Uh, uh, in those days, you had to have a rounded education, so you had to take uh, classes uh, in English, um, sociology, places like that. So I was able to pick up uh, four classes. So I wanted to get out in three years instead of four. So uh, I had the had those classes over two years. I took even art. Uh, sorry, photography. <laughs> I had to show my portfolio to the uh, That's funny. art instructor to get a, to get those uh, credits transferred. And then uh, in those days, uh, it was also unique. They uh, the university uh, sort of as a community service uh, did, had a history class uh, that was broadcast over, over the Philadelphia TV stations, and they also had videotapes of that. And so I was able to take that class as well uh, and get a credit for that. Uh, and then I had one professor, a young kid that uh, I think he I think he had a French girlfriend or something. So I did an independent study on uh, how to import products from France and sell them in the U.S. Mm. So I was able to to get done in three instead of four, which also reminds me of another story. I used to uh, import things still uh, into the Philadelphia airport, and I bring the boxes back and store them under my bed in my dorm <laughs> until I could bring them back to my father's house to, uh, yeah, for him to uh, pack up and ship when the orders came in. And this was still at that time, still a mail only, a mail order only. You had not dipped into the world of selling online. There's no online. This was 1979 and 80. Uh, it does remind me of the story I started to say before I thought of that one time I got into trouble at uh, Penn because I, I, I did computerized the mailing list, which, which is, oh. I, I, I stored it in a file and I printed every time I wanted to mail out catalogs, which, which I can't remember, it may have been a uh, thousand, seven, I think it was 700 or a thousand catalogs. And, you know, so someone saw these labels coming out of a, a printer in the, in the, you know. Oh my God. Room, and uh, I think I got a little, a little slap on the wrist. Yeah, you're lucky to go out in handcuffs because they used to block your time, right? Didn't they measure the time you spent on a computer? You had to, you know, request it and get it approved and all that kind of jazz. Yeah, it was sort of like well, they, these are more like computer rooms. So they had maybe forty or fifty terminals in a room, and you, they probably kept track of it. You're right, but it wasn't 
that strict, uh, but it was similar to what you're saying. Hmm. Okay, so you graduate early, you got this degree, you're going to go work in corporate America, right? This is, you're ready, this is it. No, I don't, right. No chance. No, doing it myself, exactly. I, <laughs> I just continued uh, the mail order business, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I, I, you know, made it into a wholesale business, because, you know, stores all, all over the country were looking for uh, European imports on a even and you developed that skill, right? You found, A, you had sources. B, you had the tenacity to go and develop these relationships, so you, you developed sources. Isn't that a lesson, you know, I mean, I'm trying to make this relevant for today because I think, you know, most of this stuff is relevant today. If you develop good sources, for example, I'll give a good example. There's a Polish potter, a pottery seller um, in my neighborhood that sells Polish pottery, very specific item, right? Very specific niche. I mean, you've got to be who wants that, right? However, they are a wholesaler. Now, they're not making it here. They develop relationships over there. So I think that logic, what you're describing, is still available today, right? I mean, that's what they do. Or They're actually a distributor, excuse me. They're a distributor that then sells wholesale to other companies, and that's how they make their profit in between. That opportunity you did then still exists today. It's just the work. Yeah, it, it was interesting. You reminded me uh, the the major American companies I was buying from. You were not allowed to blend very much, like um, you just said, and, and like everyone's doing now. Like many many brands. I mean, in 2018 right. is the year that who knows how many, what percentage, 50, 80, 90 percent of any brand. In the U.S., is, is going to try to be on Amazon, um, to sell, or you know, sell direct. And in those days, because there were a lot of big antitrust lawsuits, um, hmm. vendor uh, manufacturers were not allowed to uh, give preference to um, uh, retail to retailers. It was a strict thing. Every year, <clears throat> all the major companies would send us a questionnaire, and if my retail sales were over ten percent. There, I would lose my discount. No kidding. So this whole thing now is, is a complete turnaround. It's just literally um, turn it 180 degrees. Before, the manufacturers were not allowed to sell direct, and, and I guess now because of the internet, you know, you're allowed to because um, you, you didn't have you didn't have marketplace dominance. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder why they kept that. I mean, at first I was my mentally I was originally thinking, oh, it must have been something to do with the war because most of the big manufacturers at one point turned off making toys and made gun parts, right, or machine guns or whatever. But then I'm thinking, no, it's probably because of all the people that were employed in the middle there and had influence and, you know, whoever made the, made those laws would carefully not want to lose that factory in their neighborhood, right? And that's probably more like what, what the reason was. Yeah, it's probably a lot of reasons like that. I'm not sure. It wasn't so much losing the factory. It was losing the, uh, the retailer and, and then having... It was really, by, almost by definition, monopoly. You didn't want yeah. a manufacturer yeah. to have uh, a change. You, you didn't want to have, um, like, say, Procter & Gamble having... Well, I look at Apple. You want to have a Apple having Apple stores. That's sort of... You know, that's how it's changed. In those days, you could never do that. That was illegal. Well, you still see that with Tesla, uh, that there are many states where you're not allowed to sell cars directly to people. You must use a dealership. And you'd be like, well, wait, why? Um, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, it's the same concept. Okay. In, those, in that case, the, the dealers don't want Tesla to compete. Right. So that, that's, right. that's why. So uh, we open up, uh, have to start hiring people. 
biggest mistakes of my life. I, you know, lazy and disorganized. I just hired friends and uh, people from school and, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it worked well to a point. And then, you know, having friends was, uh, as employees, you know, didn't work. Was that, I mean, when you look back and think about where it went wrong, because I'm sure you've been back through this a a hundred times, thousand times. When you think about it, like, you know, I always say that from to get from A to B, everybody has the same path available to them. But there's all these little intersections, right? You know, all these little decisions. Every day you're making a hundred decisions and each one takes you off on a little path and you hope to get back, right? The shortest path is A to B, but most people never get there. They go out and out and around and come back and do loops and stuff like that. When you think about it, where was the point when going all the way back as far as you can, where if you didn't make that choice in your mind, you know that that was the thing. That was the thing that what? That led you to a place that of unsustainability. Let me say it that way. When it, you know, when, you know, looking back, when things go wrong, right? I mean, I don't know how you are, at least in my mind, I go back and I think, huh, if I did this over, it wouldn't change things because by then it wouldn't matter. I would have ended up here too because it was further back. It was further back and further back. I guess that. Do you get where I'm going? Yeah. Well. Well. I guess. I guess. Um, I, I. I don't. I'm not that good at going back and finding this decision. Okay. Definitely was bad. Because don't forget, uh, I'm the economist. On the one hand. On the other hand. Okay, so it might have been two or, and then again, maybe it wasn't one thing. It was that one thing coupled with this one thing, coupled with this one thing, and then seven out of your control. That's the perfect storm, and that led. Okay, all right. Okay, so things are going not so good, up so good. Well, no, everything was was going well. Um, I did that for uh, twenty years, and we uh, grew to thirty five employees. And I uh, had uh, offices, very small ones, in three different states. Um, and you were selling. I mean, tell your sales. I mean, this is nothing to be embarrassed. I mean, this is big money. Well, yeah, we, we, we had grown to uh, you know, $5 million approximately. I guess it was uh, maybe a little higher. It was our best year. And uh, then, uh, well, I guess, I guess the, the internet, came along, internet came along. It was, it was good and it was bad because I started. And it was bad. It, 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 when it when it was bad, do you think you could have quickly, now knowing what you know today, could you have been one of those ones that adopted the internet, basically completely shifted your business, started that division, probably moved your employees who were in sales over to sourcing or whatever it was, because now it's a volume issue. Could you have made that transition and would that have been sustainable, do you think? I think so. It was a good question. Hmm. I'm pretty sure I could have, because, um, well, maybe it's a story of, uh, uh, was it God protects uh, infants and fools or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I actually uh, built my own shopping cart um, that was connected live to my, my uh, uh, corporate database system. And I, you know, I knew about security, uh, but security was in its infancy and so <laughs> there's a funny story one time someone called or emailed me and said do you know that your ftp uh, uh port is being used to store kitty porn 
Oh my God. I said, uh, no. So no. I, so I contacted my ISP. In those days, the ISP was the God. You called them and they had people that knew what they were doing. And they said, oh yeah, we left that port open. Okay, we'll close it. And so that was oh into that. God. But imagine that my whole company would have been exposed, uh, to some degree is exposed because there's virtually no uh, protection anymore for anything that's connected to the internet. You know, virtually everyone will have a, a breach sometime. It's just a matter of when, right? They're just trying to outrace each other. Um, okay, so I want to bring this session to a close, but it's not a good close. I mean, it's basically, I mean, say it, you lost it all? Yeah, well, basically what, what, what happened was, um, you're, you're right, maybe the best thing would have been to um, to do what they call creative destruction and just destroy the wholesale and, and go direct to consumers, which I, I was doing as a, as a you know, sideline in effect. Uh, but then, then there, there came a recession and my wholesale accounts just went, went bankrupt. Boom, 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 boom. $50,000 here, $70,000 here. And then it was all over. Nothing. De Everything. Death by a hundred slashes. Everything gone. Yes. Gone. Zero. Everything okay. I owned basically was, was gone. And at that point, because of decisions you made, to be fair, and didn't make, and many, 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 many external uh, circumstances, especially a huge recession. I mean, that would be devastating. And then to have all these other companies go under, you go out of business. And everything you built, right, all the things that you've learned, all that stuff is gone. Well, not really. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sounding stupid there, but it's like, okay, the business is gone, but my God, the education you got was incredible. So what I want to do is I want to end it there on this sad note and say there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is a second coming of Barry. Is that appropriate? Is that yeah. a pretty good way to say it? And it's kind of cool about because I don't, I don't believe that there's anyone listening to this who hasn't failed. There's every single person that is listening to us has failed, and some have failed hundreds of times, right? We all heard those stories of, you know, how many times did Abraham Lincoln fail, you know, and then eventually he gets there, right? Or, or the chicken guy that didn't start selling chickens until he was in his 60s or what have you, right? All those stories. But Barry's here to tell you that there is life after. And what's interesting to me is I'm reading lately that Barry's thinking about reinventing himself again. And that's going to come in the second uh, session. So I'm going to end it here, man. It is awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, very kind for you to be so generous with your time. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that was a very good ending to segment one of a two-part interview that I did with Barry. But I think it's pretty amazing when you think about all that has prepared him for it. I think about all the different things he's did, all the experiences he had, and all the success he had. And what happens to you when you get that? You know, I don't know about you, but I know how I am. And so I, I become complacent. And complacency is a very uh, silent business killer. And it allows other things to happen around you and others to happen around you. And guess what? They can take and take over your business. You not paying attention, you miss the signs that the world is changing and evolving. Right now, I'm getting messages from people talking about how this Q4 was much more difficult than other Q4s. I agree. 
and because it's more challenging. However, I'm in a group where the people just had their best year ever. So why were they able to have their best year ever? Well, guess what? They're working on their business while you're not, if you become complacent. So I think it's a great a great example. So um, I'm going to end this here, right? This was uh, a good place to end it. But let me tell you, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe a little different than you think, but I think it's a great example of what can be. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.